Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Tom, Dick and Hyman show. Today I'm joined by Tim. Hello. How you doing, Tim? I'm good, thank you. Long time no speak. Yeah, it's been a while. You've been uh, been pulling out at last. <laughs> been pulling <laughs> out and putting back in. And pulling out and putting back yeah. in again. Yeah. Pulling out, story of your life. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Always at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, Hyman couldn't be with us today. He had to be... Uh, well, he's got zero-hour contract job and... He has to take the work when he can get it, basically. And uh, coming up later on today's show, Hillary Clinton has secured the nominee nomination for the uh, Democratic Party. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, beat out poor old Bernie. So that means it's going to be Trump versus Hillary in the US elections coming up in November. Whoever wins, we lose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just prior to that, we're going to be talking about new Top Gear, Chris Evans and Matt LeBlanc. Possibly the most boring TV show on uh, on TV. But uh, before we get into that, we're going to talk a little bit about an obsession of mine. Today, my office filed murder charges against O.J. Simpson for the deaths of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Lyle Goldman. So that was the voice of Gil Garcetti, Los Angeles District Attorney. And he was, of course, talking about how uh, O.J. Simpson had been charged with double murder. We're going back to June 1994, I think it was. Yeah, I can't remember. I, was, I must have been about I think I was 16. about 11, something like that, 12, something like that. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I remember watching it in my uh, sixth form. I remember. I don't really remember the trial or anything like that. The verdict. Well, I remember the car chase. Yeah, because it was parodied yeah. a couple of times, like uh, Duke Nukem. But the actual trial itself became sort of required viewing on TV every evening. People would catch up on the trial, and hmm. um, yeah, obviously it came fairly soon after the LA riots. Two years. Yeah. So there, there was still that sort of very tense atmosphere. Just. As a you know outsider looking on in, it seemed like a very tense place, LA at the time. And some people say that might have influenced the the decision of the jury in the end. You know, for the sake of uh, public safety. I don't know. I don't think. I don't think the uh, Rodney King beatings or the LA riots well were on their mind at the time. Well, I think race definitely had yeah, something to but, do but with it. Exactly. That's the thing. The OJ's defense team brought race into it and actually brought in the reputation of the LA police into it. I got a little bit obsessed with the OJ Simpson trial back in like two thousand. 2005-ish when um, the BBC did a documentary involving OJ trial conspiracy theories and that was back when I was kind of into like I was getting into like 9-11 conspiracy theories and things like that okay. and, like, once you start with one it's a rabbit hole yeah exactly and it's like once you're willing to believe one conspiracy theory you're willing to believe every conspiracy theory after that Do it's you know being open minded doesn't make you a nutcase I recall a conspiracy theory, I think the biggest one, was the console in the white Ford Bronco. It had a blood pattern on it, and the conspiracy theorists were thinking, how could it possibly get there, that blood splatter, and blah, blah, blah. Probably from OJ being covered in blood. Yeah, I'd imagine. Yeah. I've I've often tried to recreate the whole white Bronco trace uh, in Grand Theft Auto. Oh, right. (laughs) You know. Um, you get the Bronco, you respray it. Yeah. And you just cause a minor misdemeanor and drive as slowly as possible. You murder two people. From the, yeah, you murder two people with a, drive with a knife. Down the little no, you drive slowly. That's the thing. You actually oh, okay. only do 20. <laughs> Can't complete your topic. <laughs> but be, being Brits, we probably don't have a, a sense 
of what a national icon or national treasure OJ was to Americans yeah. prior to, to being a murderer. Yeah. You know, he, he wasn't, we know he was in Naked Gun. He that's was it. Yeah, NFL. that's all we know him from. Yeah, yeah, he was also, but in the NFL, he's really popular. He had a lot of um, brand endorsements and sponsorships. Th- he won every major trophy I think you can win. Yeah. He was a very positive role model as once. And of course, um, a couple of months ago, there was a famous TV show, American Crime Story. Okay. The OJ no. Simpson trial. Did no. you watch any of that? No. I saw it advertised, but I've, I've not watched it. Oh, you missed out. It's I knew the ending, good. you see. So. Yeah, of course. But yeah. I mean, it was pretty good. It was, um, that TV show kind of reignited my passion mm. for the O.J. Simpson trial. I've just been, since that's come back on, I've just been watching tons and tons. There's so many, there's hundreds of videos on YouTube all about the O.J. Simpson trial. Yeah. And I, I think enough time has passed now that the vast majority of people think he was guilty of the crime. But the fact that he, was, he wasn't found guilty is, is why it sort of retains our fascination for so long. But if we go back... To 1990. Well, I think it was because it was started 94. She was murdered. Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman were murdered, I believe. I haven't checked this. I should have done, but I didn't. I think it was like June 12th, 1994. And this story, it didn't really start the night of the murders. It started when OJ was uh, Bob Shapiro, former lead counsel, ex-lead counsel for OJ's defense team. We'll get to that a bit later. He arranged for OJ to voluntarily hand himself into the LAPD. And uh, OJ didn't show up. Los Angeles Police Department right now is actively searching for Mr. Simpson. Woo! America. The Los Angeles Police Department is also very unhappy with the activities surrounding his failure to surrender. He's talking like a teacher there. Mm. I'm really disappointed in OJ. He's normally such a good kid. But that was the point where the public uh, started to find out that this is going to be a story, a big story. It didn't start the night of the murders. It started th- at this point. <laughs> what was he doing? He was driving... Well, he wasn't driving. Eh? Say, basically, he was in the Ford Bronco. You know the infamous... For three chest. days? No. For a short uh, He was in Robert Kardashian's house at the time, I think it was. Okay. And um, one of his old houses... And uh, he was under duress in the sense that his lawyers were there. So Kardashian was there. Shapiro was there. Mm -hmm. But OJ allegedly snuck out the back window. Really? Yeah. uh, Apparently he had a gun that he was putting to the temple of his head in front of Robert Kardashian. Okay. In Kim Kardashian's bedroom. Right. And uh, he was saying, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to kill myself. I can't carry on, blah, blah, blah. They're going to paint me as a murderer, all this. Okay. So uh, he wrote three letters. Yeah. For public consumption. So I've got this image in my in my head of him sitting at a table, writing a letter, simultaneously holding a gun to his own head. Well, he wrote the letter. So if you're right-handed <laughs> and you're going to blow your fucking brains out, yeah, you'd hold the gun in your right hand, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? You'd hold it in the same well, you'd hand. Have, you... No, you'd have to write with whatever hand. Yeah, but you can't write with your left hand if you're right-handed. And you wouldn't hold a gun that you've got to be pretty careful on the trigger with, with your weak hand, would you? Yeah, they've got safeties. It's bullshit. He probably said, hey, Kardashian, hold the gun for a sec. Just point it at me. <laughs> okay, cheers, mate. I'll write this letter. There we go. Give the gun back. Thank you. Saying, yeah, allegedly he had a gun that he was pointing yeah. to his own head, threatening Someone, to commit suicide. They should have recreated that in court. OJ was actually, at the time of that police officer's press conference, he was in the back seat of the white Ford Bronco, and right. his best friend, his lifelong friend, AC Cowlings, he was driving it. Uh-huh. And that's the infamous shot you see yeah. on the highway, and yeah, there's yeah. the 20 police cars, yeah. and there's a slow speed chase. Yeah. Supposedly, he wanted to go to Nicole Brown's grave, 
but there were people there, he yeah. said, and so they didn't stop. They just those are not on. the actions of an innocent man. Well, get this right. And so, was that was that three days after the murder? This is yeah, three or four days after. So the that's murder. not the actions of a traumatized person either, because that sort of instant trauma, he would have run out and shot himself three days after. It was only when the net was starting to close. The noose was starting to tighten. That's that's Look when he this. he had on him. In he the just car. didn't have the balls to kill himself. That's what it was. In the car, he had uh, I think he had two disguises. <laughs> oh, he had his passport. He, he never wanted to kill himself then. He had his passport. Yeah. He had like ten thousand dollars worth of cash. I take it back. So he, yeah, he was obviously. It's oh. looking like he's guilty, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I told you those three letters he wrote. Yeah. One of them was for public consumption, and Robert Kardashian was reading that out. And as he's reading it out, it sounds like a fucking... 100% sounds like a suicide note. Mm, you know. Well, they, listen they, to this. Do, do you I, think this sounds like the words of a, uh, an innocent man? ...and feel I've done most of the right things. So why do I end up like this? I can't go on. No matter what the outcome, people will look and point. I can't take that. I can't subject my children to that. This way, they can move on and go on with their lives. Please, if I've done anything worthwhile in my life, let my kids live in peace from you, the press. I've had a good life. I'm proud of how I lived. My mama taught me to do unto others. I treated people the way I wanted to be treated. I've always tried to be up and helpful. So why is this happening? That sounds... A bit like a suicide note to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's why the police, because like I say, when I was a kid, I was wondering why didn't the police just ram that car off the road? They're going like 30 miles an hour. Exactly. It's because he had the gun on him. He was on the back seat. And supposedly AC, AC Cowling said, oh yeah, he's in the back seat. He's got a gun pointed to his head saying he's going to shoot himself. So yeah. the police stayed back. They didn't want an, a dead celebrity. Mm. So what happened in the end? I can't remember. Because he was going around. He initially went to Nicole Brown's uh, graveyard. Uh, not her graveyard, her gravesite. Yeah. But there, he said there were people. There were tons of people there, like mourners and stuff, well-wishers. Yeah. So he didn't stop. He just carried on. And they said uh, he drove around for a little bit. And then he decided he wanted to see his mother one last time. So they decided to go back to yeah. his mansion in Rockingham. Yeah. And that's when they got AC called the police and said, clear the roads, we're going to Rockingham. And then they got there and it started to get dark. It was nighttime. Hmm. And they basically, it was just a standoff. SWAT team. Yeah. There was SWAT, there were sniper rifle, snipers everywhere. Do you know what I mean? But they obviously, it was uh, because he's so famous and because he's OJ. And OJ had a good rapport with the LAPD. He had lots of LAPD people around his house for parties and stuff on the regular. So none of them really wanted to shoot him. Yeah. Now, at the time this is going on, 90 million Americans have tuned into this. So 90 million Americans are aware OJ's on the run. And he's been charged with double murder. Now, in the UK, because you might remember in America, they had all of the helicopters chasing it and all of that. They had cameras set up all around his house on these massive ladders so they could look into his garden. In the UK, that's not legal. We can't do that here. You wouldn't be able to chase him like that in a helicopter. You wouldn't Mm. be able to try and get a look into his back garden. We have that kind of privacy Privacy law. law. Yeah. Because in America, they have the First Amendment, which is obviously uh, free speech rights, but yeah. also free access to any information, anything. Yeah. But the sixth, the sixth Amendment yeah. says that you have the right to a fair and speedy trial. And so in this instance, you've got those two amendments smashing into each other face first. Mm-hmm. And it's like, which one supersedes the other? Yeah. What, yeah. Do, what do you think? Would you, do you think they, uh, if you're charged with double murder, like your right to privacy is gone at that point? 
Not at all. I think the right to privacy is essential, in it, especially a high-profile case. But we don't we don't do things like that in the UK because we, we try have super injunctions. Yeah, because we want to avoid what's called a show trial. Yeah, where it's the emphasis is more on the public being satiated, feeling satisfied, than actually finding blind justice. But of course, anyone you, you or I could go down to the old Bailey tomorrow. Well, except we couldn't because it's Sunday tomorrow. But we could go during <laughs> the week and sit in the public gallery and you know watch all sorts of fun and games. So I mean, they've got the American press have a ton of freedom. Yeah. What the police have learnt to do, what the district attorneys have learnt to do, is to use the media to their advantage. True. And this is what Gil Garcetti, uh, LA district attorney, this is what he tried to do. He yeah. went on this little mini whirlwind yeah. tour of like the big LA TV news shows. Yeah. To, um, and he was trying to give across the impression that, um, yeah, look, he, they, OJ is very much beloved, and the public have this public image of him, of him being kind of angelic. Do you know what I mean? He was the young black guy from, where was he from? I know it was from a poor neighbourhood. I can't remember what city it was, though. But he came from nothing to be a big success. The American dream, right? Yeah. And so Garcetti went around saying, look, I know what you think of OJ, but he's a double murderer. You've got to remember the life of Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman. So he started with pretty good intentions. He was trying mm. to get people to remember there was a double murder yeah. involved here. But it was interesting. It was one of those cases where completely outside of the, the jury and the judge, they were really trying to get the public engaged and on, on his side. and Yeah, both the prosecution and defence were having, like, daily press meetings. Yeah. It was ridiculous, and conferences really. and shit. Yeah. And that's the first real tragedy of this story. As you mentioned earlier, Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman, well, especially Ron Goldman, were completely forgotten about. Their lives, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, the fact that they were brutally murdered, completely. that was completely forgotten. Yeah. And that's the first real tragedy of this story. OJ's charged with double murder... He's got to form together his team of lawyers and he uh, puts together the dream team, the so-called dream team. So who's in the uh, dream team, Tim? Uh, Do you remember? Shapiro, Kardashian, Cochran. Uh, Johnny Cochran. Effley Bailey, Alan Dershowitz, yeah. Barry Sheck, maybe. That's just a guess. Well read, well read. <laughs> <laughs> but this wasn't really a dream team, though, if you think about it. Why? Because uh, Bob Shapiro... His speciality was plea bargains. So anytime he had someone he was defending for murder, his natural instinct was go for plea bargain, get plead on, guilty. Get on your knees. Yeah, say I'm sorry and get a reduced sentence. Yeah. Robert Kardashian hadn't been a, law a practicing lawyer for like three or four years at this point. Johnny Cochran, his speciality wasn't really defending murder suspects. It was actually going after corrupt police officers, which he turned that to his advantage a bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, F. Lee Bailey had been out of the picture for years. Yeah, he had a couple of high-profile wins, but he hadn't been on the radar for like 20 years by that point. And uh, Alan Dershowitz, bit of a cock again. I don't know if he... I don't think he was particularly well-versed in defending murder suspects at that point. And Barry Sheck was just... He was one of the first lawyers to get his head around DNA forensic evidence. Okay. So he that's... A, on the so like floor. you say, so really from that outward appearance, not so much a cast-iron dream team. No. And do you think that's because most of the real high-flying professionals were like, fuck it, this guy's a nutcase, this guy's guilty, I don't want anything to do with this case. Yeah. Johnny Cochran didn't want to do it at first. Yeah. Because he was like, this is a losing... This yeah. is a losing case, yeah. easy. And... Um, but he's... Johnny Cochran's who I associate most with the guy who won it, for whatever reason... Mm -hmm. He's Easy. the one who's sort of st stayed in the vernacular. He And I think Barry Sheck had a big part to play as well, the uh, DNA expert guy. Okay. But the reason why it was... Uh, well, Bob Shapiro himself, excuse me, 
Alan Dershowitz himself later said, oh, they called it a dream team in the press. It wasn't a dream team. It was a nightmare team. Johnny Cochran and Bob Shapiro were constantly going at it. They were both the alpha dogs trying to show their dominance. Hmm. And, uh, of course, like I said, Bob Shapiro was the plea bargain specialist, so he was angling for, well, let's just Hmm. get him to say he's guilty and let's get a reduced sentence. Uh, So their strategy going in, the defence team, was... uh, As Bob Shapiro put quite famously to Barbara Waters, the strategy was to play the race card, but to play it from the bottom of the deck. What did he mean by that, Tim, do you think? Play it from the bottom of the deck. Yeah, playing dirty. Or maybe it's more about just just always having it as a sort of undercurrent. Because Bob Shapiro wrote uh, an article, I think, in The New Yorker. Um, Well, he didn't write it. He spoke to a journalist, obviously, but... He put it out then that they were going to play the race card, that race was going to be a part of this trial. The idea that um, a a black man in America can't get a fair trial. I think that was the phrase he used in the article. Mm. So race was brought into this right from the start. I remember there was a lot of controversy even over forming a jury. Basically, they were really trying to get it as as, diverse as possible. And I don't know what the final one was, actually. I think it was... The final... The final jury set up. But I remember they, 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 oh, went, God, they, went, yeah. they went through a very long process of, of selecting a jury that wasn't going to be... Yeah, because... Um, so like I said, the defence strategy was to play the race card. And that suited Johnny Cochran fine. The defence, their strategy... Uh, defence, excuse me. The prosecution team. Defence. <laughs> the prosecution team's strategy... You did uh, The prosecution team strategy was to try and paint OJ as a serial abuser. So an abusive husband who, um, after getting divorced, became extremely possessive, got extremely enraged, increasingly enraged at the fact that his wife had moved on without him and that eventually it it got so bad that he decided to kill her. That was their strategy. Because there wasn't really any strong physical evidence they could link him to the crime with. The only eyewitness was a dog. And apparently that dog was untrustworthy. Apparently, according to other uh, witnesses. Oh, yeah, they put it on the stand, yeah, yeah. cross <laughs> examined it. Fucking liar, that dog. <laughs> Don't trust a dashant. So, in the LAPD, thinking they were helping out, they leaked tapes of. Uh, they had on file these tapes of Nicole Brown calling them, saying, like, OJ's coming over, he's going to beat the shit out of me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And um, the result of that was there was going to originally be a private trial behind closed doors, a grand jury trial. Yeah. But because the LAPD did that, a judge decided, all right, look, we have to do it out in the open now. We have to do it publicly. Which really probably gave the open door for the OJ side to play the whole race card because that got the public involved then. Because before, if it had been closed doors, no one would give a damn. Yeah, it would have been forgotten about after a while. Yeah, true. But it also meant they got access to all of the prosecution's evidence, which in a grand jury trial, they wouldn't have had access to that. So they could have been caught off guard, right? So it's mutual. They knew everything the prosecution team was going to say ahead of time. Uh, the trial location, it was, the crime was originally committed in Santa Monica, which is predominantly white area, but aforementioned district attorney Gil Garcetti, he decided to move it to downtown LA, which is a predominantly black area, and he did this because he had the LA riots in mind, Rodney King beatings, he didn't think it would look good to have a predominantly white jury convicting a black, a lone black man, do you know what I mean? Yeah. He thought it would look bad. Should have blacked them up then. <laughs> Justice is colorblind. It should be anyway. So it turned out nine out of the 12 jurors were black, two were white, and I think one was Hispanic, or a Hispanic guy. I was sort of in the middle. Yeah, so it was predominantly black women, two white women, a Hispanic guy, and a couple of black guys. Yeah. Marsha Clark, lead counsel for the prosecution, she believed she had a great rapport with black women, 
she thought, oh, I'll get all the... I don't mind having a predominantly black jury so long as they're predominantly black women. That'll be to my advantage. The defence team figured the same as well. They didn't want black women on it. But then they did this focus group where they had hundreds of potential jurors and they were just asking them questions and blah, blah, blah. And at one point they played video of Marsha Clark, her doing her thing in the courtroom. And uh, they started asking, right, what do, you, what do you think of Marsha? And most of the black women said they didn't like her. They thought she was a bitch. Uh, too forthright. They thought her hair sucked. <laughs> you know what I mean? But of course, the thing about focus groups is that the people running them can get the result they want. Yeah, true. Depending how they, they present the information to the participants. Much similar to the polling companies we have over here. Yeah, because uh, like we said earlier, the defence strategy was to try and paint this connection between abusive husband, who then becomes ex-husband and becomes so enraged at the fact that his ex-wife has moved on without him that he killed her. The jury did not buy that line in the slightest. And it turns out, actually, statistically, that doesn't really happen. Abusive, hus- There's no connection between abusive husband becoming a murderer. Like It's not inevitable and it very, very rarely happens. The DNA evidence that the prosecution side were heavily relying on there's some people say that the jury were too stupid they were too ill-educated the dna evidence went over their head i don't think that's the case Mm. i think it was more the prosecution they didn't really clearly explain what the dna evidence meant like the gravitas of it Mm -hmm. it was still a relatively new mm, area of forensics wasn't it like we know about it today thanks to like jurassic park and things Yeah, yeah exactly Whereas back then it was relatively new. Yeah. And this as well, yeah, they didn't even get that across properly, that DNA is more reliable than fingerprint evidence. Mm. They didn't even really clearly explain that. So the prosecution, they didn't give a shit about the motive, the potential motive that the prosecution were putting forward. Excuse me, the jury didn't give a shit about it. They didn't see a connection there. And the DNA evidence didn't sway them in any way at all either. Now, probably the most famous moment in the trial, Tim, the... Let's try and get OJ to try the gloves on in the courtroom. Oh, that's all anyone remembers. Yeah, probably the biggest Most people highlight. probably think that's the sole reason he got off was because the glove didn't fit. Yeah, um, I think that's a bit naive. Those people are a bit naive. Of course, like, uh, I've always thought if I was going to wear a pair of gloves to try and uh, cover <laughs> my fingerprints, I'd wear a pair that weren't my size. Too small or too, too big? Too small. I'd wear ladies' gloves. They'd think <laughs> this was a lady who did and this. And you'd be in high heels. You'd really throw them off the scent, wouldn't you? <laughs> I don't know about that, but... <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? The, the, the fact they don't fit him doesn't mean anything. They, they still physically went around his fingers. He could move them and hold a knife. And... Do you think he was hamming it up in the courtroom when he was trying it on? Oh, of course. He was pulling out everything Leslie Nielsen had taught him with a naked gun. <laughs> he was it, doing the arthritis fingers. It was a miracle he didn't sort of like fall over the chair and you know fart in the judge's his face he was even mugging for the camera like he turned like they all knew there was one camera in the courtroom and everyone knew where it was right bob shapiro there was a point where someone was talking about the the cut to nicole brown's throat right it almost completely decapitated her head off right almost cut her head off completely and when they were describing that in the courtroom oj looked really kind of upset and disturbed yeah and bob shapiro clocked that yeah and he moved his chair a few inches forward. He knew his head was in the way of yeah. the only camera in Gosh. the courtroom so they couldn't see OJ's face. Gosh. He, he earned his millions then. He earned, yeah. you know, you get what you pay for. And uh, OJ, of course. What a pro. Like, he, was, he was doing the old arthritis fingers. Oh, yeah. He wasn't really trying to put the glove on. Plus he had the latex gloves on underneath. Yeah, he was just, he was just uh, portraying the sort of wronged man, traumatised victim. Well, but he was as guilty as sin. Another big highlight Mark Furman. Detective Mark Furman. 
Well, not anymore. <laughs> not after this trial. <laughs> Why? He was fucking persona non grata for like the whole of LA. He was, um, it turned out there was that famous moment where F. Lee Bailey set the most obvious trap in trial history. What's that? You've never said, you've never said the word nigger before? No, I've <gasps> never. So in the last, what? in the last what 10 word? years. What word? You've never said that word in the last 10 years. No, I've never said the that. word. You can't say that said word. It. No one says that yeah. word. Why would you always... No one's never, ever said that word. This is what you say when you're accused in court. I do not recall if I've ever used that word. It's you not don't something say, you I, write in your diary, is it? Exactly. But you June don't, the 6th. Oh, I, I said, it's painfully uh, obvious that he was being set up. Yeah. But... He didn't have the sense to just say, oh, well, maybe sharp I did. Sharp, <laughs> But again, completely shifting the focus away from the murder of yep. two people in front said, of an innocent, traumatised dog to some guy working for a police department using the N-word. Well, it came out... He Do you know what I mean? Collect, he had a couple of pieces of Nazi memorabilia. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Serious now, isn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, yeah. So he was called a genocidal racist. Johnny Cochran referred <laughs> to him several times in court as a genocidal racist. Brilliant. <laughs> that, <'cause you> know, <laughs> genocidal. He would wipe yeah. out races if he yeah, could. One lone cop, that if movie. Could... <laughs> <laughs> one lone cop. City Hall wanted his ass. He be... had genocide in mind. This is the point where Ron Goldman and Nicole's death yeah. was completely forgotten about. Yeah. And the trial became LAPD, the people versus yeah. LAPD. But you know what I mean? It's like even if someone is factually correct in what they're saying, if they are also a racist, what they say loses yep. all validity. But in LA, you're not going to get away with that. LAPD has got such a sordid oh, history of definitely, racism. Definitely. That, yeah. Like I say, it was, t- it was a tinderbox after the LA riots. And to some extent, it says, I'd be interested, what would it be like if this exact same case happened today? If OJ waited, if OJ just waited 20 years, you know what I mean? What, I've got a funny feeling it wouldn't be that different. I don't think it'd be that different. I think it'd be even worse. Barry Sheck, because when you said earlier, Johnny Cochran <coughs> was integral to the victory. Mm-hmm. I think Barry Sheck was as well, equally. The way he attacked all the DNA evidence and the forensic experts who collected the evidence, he was vicious and brutal. Mm. And he did absolutely convince the jury that there was no reason for them to listen to what yeah. any of the forensic experts for the prosecution yeah. were saying. Yeah. Don't listen to anyone from the LAPD. Yeah. They're all corrupt, they're all racist. So really those, you know, uh, Ron and Nicole were really let down in, in that yep, sense. Totally. Well, I mean, you, not that you point, probably care if you're dead. At some point, don't ethics kick in? At some point, if you, if, like, if you care and you're dead, you you come back and haunt them. Because come on, it was pretty yeah. obvious he was guilty, right? And yeah. At some point, your own sense of ethics, your own conscience, should kick in and go. Well, yeah, it's my job to try and get him off, but I don't have to cross certain lines to do it. But yeah, I don't have to ruin the reputation of certain LAPD forensic mm. team members. I suppose it's an interesting dilemma that every uh, law person has to face. And Marsha Clark, You're right. she came out of the trial. Pretty much, she was the only one that came out of the trial looking like a hero. Okay. Other than maybe Johnny Cochran. Right. But really, her performance, especially in the, what do they call it, the final closing argument? Closing statement. Yeah. where Summation. Yeah, you do your final summation. Yeah. She was really poor at that. There were a lot of details she left out. There were a lot of things that she didn't remember. And she's in front of the jury going, um, oh, um... Um, Silly. Oh, you remember, you remember, right? Silly cow. I don't remember it right now, but you guys, you remember. It's oh, like, no, we, we talked about this eight oh. months ago. We don't remember. Oh, my like, gosh. <laughs> Awful. Because Vincent, uh, the lawyer called Vincent Bugliosi. Yeah. I think I pronounced that wrong. 
What? He was... Bugliosi. Yeah, that looks right. He was disgusted by this trial. Yeah. And he blamed it 100% on the prosecution, right? And um, uh, some film production company came to him because he wrote a book called Outraged, I think, all about uh, expressing, articulating America's outrage at the verdict. Right. And so this film company come to him and they say, look, we want you to turn your book into a video, VHS tape, right? right? You can go on YouTube, right? It's on YouTube. He made this video. The first three hours is him picking apart the prosecution's uh-huh. performance. The second tape, the sec- next three hours, is how he would have done his closing argument, his final summation, what evidence he would have relied on, and etc. And yeah. I implore you, if you're an obsessive nutcase like me and you just can't get enough O.J. Simpson troll... Go on YouTube and find him. It's a great watch. But f- from the way you described it, even the greatest closing statement ever it had a hell of a lot of uh, yeah. hard, hard argument against it. It couldn't be not no no support from the you know evidence they they provided. It couldn't beat Johnny Cochran's infamous line: "If it don't fit, you must acquit." Yeah, that fucker. <laughs> <laughs> that line is so simple, right? Yeah, and so highly memorable. That that's really after if you've been in a, a trial case for nine fucking long months, yeah. That one line is what really you're yeah. going to remember yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. But that line, I, I can't remember. There was a comedian who, because Johnny Cochran died in like 2004, 2005 of a brain tumor. Oh. And for some comedian, I can't remember who it was, is going the part of the brain, the part of Johnny Cochran's brain that came up with that line. If yeah. it don't fit, you must acquit. Yeah. That's where God put the tumor. Oh. <laughs> and he punished him. Oh, dear. Oh, God. I think that comedian might have been a racist. So, yeah, I'm completely, completely obsessed. The most interesting stories are the ones where the reader has a sense of how it's going to go. And then when it goes, Mm. when it ends completely differently, that's what makes you keep coming back to it. That's why we keep coming back to this story. It's it's, it's really interesting. You say we. I think this is... It's not just my obsession. No. I think it's white people's obsession. I don't think, think I don't think I'm black white. Americans obsess about this in the same way white Americans do. Do you know uh, what I mean? Uh, true, true. I mean, it had everything. This story: yeah. Hollywood sleaze, racism, a c- slow car chase. Yeah, racial divides. Sexism was involved. Marsha Clark, like she was criticised for her haircut. A dog. Yeah, police corruption. The N word. Poli- yep. A policeman saying that. Media frenzy, and of course, just enough mystery, just enough doubt to make it interesting. Yeah. You know, just enough to be like, maybe, maybe they did set him up. Like after nine months of hearing it, maybe you, were like, maybe they did, maybe they did conspire mm. to set him up. Mm. So this trial, have you ever seen footage? Uh, well, I think you said earlier you saw it. The verdict. I watched it live on TV. The verdict. Yeah. So you saw the white crowds and the black crowds, the different reactions. No, I, I, I can just remember the reaction watching it in the sixth form common room. Were people happy on the TV? Uh, I think some people were. Most people were just surprised. But were to be the... honest with you, most of us was t- like 15, 16. Mm. Didn't actually have any real investment in it. Couldn't really give a damn. Yeah. But were like really surprised that he uh, got off with it. Um, and I think, I can remember talking to someone who was like a, a wannabe lawyer. Right. And they were they were very impressed with OJ's defence team. I can still remember that. Having obsessed about it recently, I'm not impressed with them whatsoever. I mean, they picked the right strategy, sure. Yeah. 
but overall their performance was pretty poor. Bob Shapiro's performance was terrible. It's all down to Cochrane. Well, the American media, I think they had uh, a sense of what was coming, right? Yeah. Because they set up cameras where they would go to a predominantly white neighbourhood to okay. film their reaction to the verdict, yeah. and then a predominantly black neighbourhood to mm. film the reaction to the verdict. You noticed a clear racial divide. White people were shocked, and the verdict was read out. Black people were cheering. <laughs> Like, do you know what I mean? Like at a stadium. And I think that was the time white America, for lack of a better term, realised we live in a different America to black Americans, basically, in a sense. Yes, The OJ trial is what brought that to light. Now, I said there was a first tragedy in the trial was the fact that Ron Goldman was completely forgotten. Nicole Brown was largely forgotten. Not completely, like Ron was. Mm. The second tragedy here that I think the OJ Simpson trial revealed is uh, black America, I don't think, is ever going to forgive white America for slavery. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I don't think there'll ever be a reconciliation and understanding. I think it's uh, it's a cultural it's a cultural meme that's currently being passed over the generations. Black America won't forgive white America for slavery. White America won't forgive black America for the O.J. Simpson trial. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> they won't let it go. They will not let it go. That's interesting. I mean, definitely massive disparity yeah. there between the two injustices. But they they, <laughs> that, they, they, they didn't let him go. Because in the end, you know, he got he got he got done. The Goldman family got him in the civil trial. Yeah, yeah, and like I say, he's in, he's in prison today for a separate crime. I've noticed something in the U.S. media. Whenever O.J. Simpson trial comes up, they always get a black person on, right? And they will always ask them with a kind of wry smile on their face. Mm. So you. Yeah. You think he did it, right? You don't You don't think he's innocent, right? And they always do that. I think they do it knowingly that they're trying to create a division in the black community. Yeah. It's kind of a spiteful, vengeful thing to do. But black people are onto it. They know it. And this then, is why whenever a white person asks, yeah. they'll always say, oh, I don't know, maybe maybe he is but innocent. Then, I don't know, maybe the, they did set him up. But, I think uh, Patrice O'Neill had a great quote on this, just to wind white people up. He called it uh, that one moment where black America got to slap a bunch of crackers in the face. You know, OJ got away with it do you know what I mean for once a black guy got away with it they'd watched white criminals get away with it for years and this was their one yeah and white people can't let it go (laughs) do you know what I mean one black guy gets away with murder and they can't let it go it's true that's very true killer alright coming up in the next segment talking about new top gear the most boring show in the world and on that bombshell Tonight, Tim goes drag racing in his piece of shit Honda. <laughs> that Honda, that Honda is like number 77 on Clarkson's top 100 list of cars. Oh, fuck off. Yeah, it is. It anyway, is. we're talking new If you actually knew gear. something about cars, <laughs> if you actually had a driving license and could drive, you'd know that was an amazing car. Thank you. All that and more. <laughs> <laughs> I was so defensive about my car. But it's number 77 out of 100. <laughs> Clarkson's top 100. Of course, we're talking new Top Gear. Oh, the prelude. Two episodes in now. It's a series 23, launched a couple of weeks ago. And uh, not been well received, has it, Tim? No. Um, obviously, everyone loved the old Top Gear. It was one of the most successful international BBC TV programmes. Made them a lot of money. Yeah. For good or bad reasons, it's created a lot of notoriety as well. So this, this, this new uh, iteration with Chris Evans at his helm had a lot of hard work. 
work. Yes, yeah, so Hammond catching up to do. Hammond, May, and Clarkson. They've been HMC. They've been replaced by Chris Evans, Matt LeBlanc, and uh, looking like Eddie Jordan with yeah. Sabine Schmidt coming in yeah. every now and then. Yeah, and I can't remember the rest of the people. Unfortunately, uh, they're they're all secondary really to that main team. Yeah, yeah. So the show uh, they haven't really changed the format too much. There tends to be the bit at the beginning with the really fast, expensive cars that shot really well, really produced amazingly mm. well, mm. and then there's a bit of a in studio bit with a celebrity car news no they don't do car news anymore do don't they? they not in the last two episodes they haven't done no. it no the, the last the third kind of the final third is the uh, the challenges yeah. type stuff yeah celebrities in f- normal cars and well no that's the second but yeah. the third is them doing some sort of challenge you know where they get oh, the envelope right. yes, yes, and the yes. guy in the white coat yeah, yeah. And, um, so the format itself hasn't changed too much one thing that's definitely changed though is um, the in studio stuff Chris Evans you know he did TFI Friday yeah he's brought that kind of style of presenting it was yeah. um, popularised in the late 90s by people like Davina McCall and Sarah Cox Sarah Cox you know that fake enthusiasm well it was that sort of um, hangover from live TV oh wow this or, is oh this is great yeah and or breakfast really. live TV which works very well maybe on breakfast TV on an entertainment show and also yeah. like breakfast radio which Chris Evans was really good at but if not him who else who else could you have imagined presenting that show other than Clarkson because exactly, yeah. Evans was known as a bit of a petrol head before yeah but one thing that's definitely become clear to me a difference between Clarkson and Evans they're both passionate about cars they both own yeah. really fast expensive cars I'll tell you what but t- Clarkson yeah. is far more articulate and erudite well, when it comes to yeah. describing the Jer- feeling of driving a car Jeremy Clarkson is a journalist by trade car he, journalist he yeah. used to write for newspapers and magazines and, yeah that's true you know whereas I don't think Chris Evans was ever a journalist I think he's always been a presenter and I, that's a yeah. really interesting thing you spotted there I think that's the yeah, real difference that's what, I think them. all three of them even Hammond yeah. they all at one point had an article where they just reviewed cars right. whereas Chris Evans it's kind of like this car's really really fast it turns really really well yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean? whereas yeah. Clarkson would come up with ridiculous similes and he can't go um, he can't go beyond the subject that he's trying to talk about whereas yeah you're right Clarkson and the rest would, would you know bring in a lot of different allusions to things a lot more entertaining because and... it hasn't been well received the new series no. Uh, in terms of viewership, the first episode back got about 4.3, 4.4 million viewers. Second episode, huge drop, 2.8 million viewers. Now, if it keeps dropping like that, there's a chance they might actually just cancel it outright. If, yeah. they, if they lose that audience each oh, yeah. week to week. So I we'll think they will. I happens. think they will because I didn't actually even watch the first one. I only watched the second one. Even just to look, kind of see, oh, what's the new out of, like? out of interest, yeah. yeah. Like the set hasn't changed. The fucking sofas, Not a lot, no. they're sitting on the same. Still the same one. But it's it? obviously still the same. Um, you know, camera crew, production designers, because um, it was beautifully shot when they went on their excursion to South mm. Africa. Yeah, and that bit was was fairly enjoyable, as as were the challenges. A lot of people have been saying it's boring, and I have to agree. Actually, there are definitely points where it really does drag. Yeah, especially in the in studio bits. Yeah, and uh, like I say, Chris Evans, he's brought that TFI style where um, he'll try and interact with the audience in a large scale way. You know how Clarkson would go up to someone in the audience individually, pick on them. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. Poke fun at them. Chris Evans doesn't do that. He does the old... Uh, there's a new bit that I really don't like where they get celebrity out, two celebrities, and they go, what was your first car? And they say what their first car was. And then Chris 
and goes, "All right, guys, which one do we yeah. think's the better one? That's give me, give me cheer for which it? one you like." What the hell that was that about? bullshit. What that's the hell is that about? That was a waste. That's of his style. Five minutes. Yeah, that's, that's what he thinks is good TV. Yeah, clapometers. But the jokes, jokes are terrible. Yeah. They're not landing at all, really. Yeah. And uh, there was a report. I can't remember. I think it was in a few different newspapers of um, Chris Evans had to try and encourage the audience to laugh more, to get more yeah. interact, to but start getting thing, a bit louder. But, but again, like from his background, he, he was a good presenter, but he's not never been a comedic presenter. He like he might do. Stunts. He thinks he's really funny. Well, like I say, the the stunts he might have done are funny. Like okay. on um, Don't Forget Your Toothbrush, where he had like people <laughs> throwing bits of their furniture out of their bedroom window and flashing yeah, the lights yeah. on and off in their house because they had a camera crew across the road. Whereas with with people like Clarkson, because he was dangerous and controversial, it's the things mm. he said that was funny, cheeky, irreverent. Yeah, and and the interplay between the old three when they were out on location doing these things, they would get into dangerous scrapes because of their personalities <laughs> and the sort of people they were. They do stupid things. Whereas bit... with these new ones, I don't think there's that element of stupidity or risk taking. There was a bit in the first episode where Matt LeBlanc goes, oh, is it is it okay if I do the love tap thing? You know, where uh, Hammond and Clarkson oh, would yeah. always hit yeah, each yeah, other yeah, yeah, lightly yeah. in yeah, the yeah. back. And he did that and Chris Evans had this look in his face of like, oh, that's what the old Top Gear would do. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah. We're not doing the, uh, the blokey stuff, the juvenile stuff. But there was, um, there was even an accusation, right? And I picked up on this in the first episode. There was a point where Matt LeBlanc said a joke that wasn't very good, but there was big laughter. But you see in the background in the audience that no one's, <laughs> no they're, one's not, they're not smiling. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? We're going to have a little listen and you tell me that if you think this is uh, canned laughter involved in this. I don't know about you, but I often lie awake in bed thinking when they approach Top Gear to remake Lawrence of Arabia, which they will, <laughs> what car are we going to replace the camel with? Now, that sounded like canned laughter to me. Well, that's, yeah, that, that wasn't even a joke. It was a terrible joke, yeah. When they approach Top Gear to make Lawrence of Arabia, which they will. <laughs> So I, think, I think it's true. BBC deny it. They say they didn't put any yeah. canned laughter in. BBC denied Jimmy Savile fucking bumming people for decades. <laughs> so I don't think I'd trust anything they say. Chris Evans, he has this in common with Jeremy Clarkson, right? They are both kind of naturally dislikable. They're both kind of obnoxious. Do you think Chris Evans was trying to sound like Jeremy Clarkson? That was a common complaint. He was trying to talk like him and use he definitely, his cadence. He definitely had the same cadence and syntax, the spacing of words and pauses. Yeah. yeah. And I think at one point he even said in the world I think he did that <laughs> one but um, neither of them Chris Evans and Jeremy Clarkson they both lack humility right but so far we've not seen Chris Evans have a comeuppance like what we used to see with Jeremy Clarkson and Top Gear like there would be always be something that horrible would happen to Clarkson and you got your laugh you know he had his comeuppance so if you didn't like him at least I, you could laugh I, at him every now and yeah. then yeah and of course Clarkson obviously had a lot of pull in the editorial side of the programme but he was obviously happy to, to let himself be shown with egg on his face yeah Whereas I don't think you'll get that with Chris Evans so much. Matt LeBlanc, is he really a presenter? No, he's an actor. But, but like um, I say, it's, it's such a strange choice. Such a strange choice to, to get over here. Well, it's to appeal to the American audience. They know they've they got a big audience in America. They should have got Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> Has he said the word nigger in the last 10 years? Yeah. Because <laughs> the in-studio bits, Matt LeBlanc lacks any real charisma. Yeah. He looks like he's just collecting a paycheck. He doesn't really yeah. give a shit. But yeah. then there's, there's looks... genuine moments with him, though, when he's driving a car and he's like even really enjoying himself. He's, he's really good, hating it. He looks like a good driver. He, I think he got the fastest time yeah. in the old I think he knows how star to, in a reasonably priced car. He can handle a motor. What do you think? What do you make of the chemistry between Matt LeBlanc and Chris Evans? Because they're the main presenting duo. None at the moment. I suppose given time and proximity, they might get more friendly. But it, at the moment, it seems fairly businesslike. I don't think it will get better. I think they genuinely don't like each other. But like, the, if you watch the original three, it took a few 
a couple of seasons for them to really become really matey. I noticed, but then I'd, like and you I, say, I don't think top this new iteration will get that much time for no. them to form a good relationship. I think it will be off off our screens by this time next year. <laughs> what did you make of the new track rally track they've got? For I don't Star? don't like it. I'm just too used to the old one. It's boring, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it tries to be a bit different with a little off roady bit. Yeah, but it doesn't really. But you're going so fast, you're only on the off road a bit for like two seconds. Well, they're in a mini. Exactly. If they gave them like a Subaru Impreza. Exactly. Like yeah. Fly around, do the handbrake turn and stuff. Yeah, maybe that'd be exciting. If but they like, barrel roll it yeah. in the last corner. No, I, mean? I, I've, 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 I drive one of those little minis occasionally. Sport, they are really fast to accelerate. Do you know what's down. lacking in those segments? What? Chris Evans, his commentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really lacking. It's too shrill. And... and it's odd. He leaves long pauses where he's not saying anything. Yes, I right? noticed that. And it's like, dude, you work in radio. You know silence how awful, death. yeah, that dead silence is, that dead air. Yeah. And he, but he's not very good at commentating and making it sound exciting. Do you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. Clarkson was pretty good as that. Right, so what was the old Top Gear formula? Why did old Top Gear work so well? The interplay of the, the three hosts. Do you think that's it though? Just the chemistry between yeah, the three? Yeah, of course. Like there's there's plenty of other programs have, have, tried, have attempted to ape Top Gear like on Channel 5 and Satellite, uh, Fifth Gear and, and other ones. Do you know what I think they get wrong though? What? Top Gear has, well, what we call now old Top Gear. They had no qualms about being cheeky, being yeah. controversial. Yeah. Controversial. They had no issues with that whereas I think Fifth Gear like, like you say these copycat yeah. shows yeah. that's what they think is the secret trick to being better than Top Gear is to take away the juvenility and the yeah. masculinity yeah. from it and of course they're probably also at the beck and call of advertisers more than mm, Top true, Gear yeah, that's true so they can't be too controversial I think it was a combination of yeah it's three guys who are genuine friends and get on with each other really well like you could see them hanging out outside of the show completely whereas I can't see Chris Evans and Matt LeBlanc ever No. and I think this is uh, what new Top Gear I think this is what they're doing wrong because like I said Chris Evans made a big point in the weeks leading up to the launch of how it isn't going to be as blokey it's not going to be as juvenile it's not going to be as masculine as the old Top Gear and I think that's actually proved to be a massive mistake yeah because girls like watching masculine things as well yep true I think they've tried uh, to sanitise it a bit make it more PC yeah and the thing is when you try and do that with men they can't really bond how they would normally almost naturally tend to bond when you try and enforce like language policing things like that on men they don't really bond not at all and I think yeah. you've got to take the reins off of that and you've got yeah. to let them try and be funny be, yeah. you know, let them be cheeky and irreverent yeah I think Matt LeBlanc wants to do it but Chris won't let him yeah. I don't know for some reason Matt LeBlanc he just seems like an automaton it's I, just reading out a script yeah I'm sorry if I read an article on The Guardian a couple of months ago when a talk with this new Top Gear was starting to come out and she um, there's this thing white middle class women do when they see guys together who they know are heterosexual yeah and they see them bonding and getting along and having fun yeah they assume at the root of that is homoeroticism yeah I hate I hate that sort of thing yeah it's like fucking obviously we've just had a Civil War movie but Tony Stark and uh, <laughs> Captain America loads of women were saying Ooh, oh yeah they should be gay yeah and it's like why fuck you and then women don't understand the way men can actually get really close and it's nothing to do with homoeroticism whatsoever reproduction yeah. yeah we enjoy being in each other's company get over it yeah. it's not a gay thing just because we would choose to hang out with our male friends rather than hang out with you doesn't make us gay mm. it's mainly middle class white women that hate anything and everything that you could describe as male or masculine yeah and uh, I've noticed in the TV world definitely in primetime mainstream TV channels there's a real lack of programming that is aimed 
aimed squarely at men. Not anymore, anyway, yeah. When we were kids, yeah. it was very different. I think Top Gear was the last oh, yeah. primetime TV programme that was aimed squarely at men. But that th- doesn't mean women can't enjoy it just because it's aimed at men. I can't really think of many others. And like, when I say primetime, I mean, like, doesn't you'll see it between the hours of 7 exactly. and 11. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Top Gear, I think, was the last, the last primetime TV show aimed squarely at men. But um, anyway, this is my challenge. Name one single TV programme, primetime, on mainstream terrestrial channels in the UK that is aimed squarely at men. I don't think there are any left. What's, what are you going to say? Like, Great British Bake no, Off? No. Like what? You know, I, I, I grew up, I didn't have my dad around. And, like, these, like, guys on TV, like, you might laugh at, like, fucking Michael Knight and Kit. But for some kids, that was, like, the only sort of positive role, ma- yeah. role, role model they'd, they'd see. And that yeah. was really good. And now, what do they have? But just, if you think we're full of shit and we're completely wrong, email us, tdh.show at gmail.com and let us know what primetime programming you think is aimed squarely at men. Prove us wrong. Together, we accomplished what nobody thought was absolutely possible. Maybe hard to see tonight, but we are all standing under a glass ceiling right now. Hillary Clinton, she did it. Finally, she has secured the presidential nomination for the Democratic Party, the first woman of any major party. She's not the very first woman to run for president. That was some forgotten libertarian, most likely. But she's the first of the two big parties, Democratic versus Republican. I can't say I'm overjoyed. But it's not like Obama, is it? You know, when the first black... There's no, there's no great uprush of optimism. That no. the, the fact that in, whereas before, whereas we had someone from an oppressed minority finally gaining power, yeah, who could bring change and bring the concerns of his people to the fore. <laughs> Obviously, that didn't happen. But, but, but with Hillary, we don't have this upsurge of feeling that this soft, feminine energy is mm. going to come into the world and make things better, nurturing, caring, growing. No, what, what we don't she, get that with Hillary. No one feels. What that. has she overcome? Bill's infidelity. Well, she didn't really overcome that, did she? <laughs> She's probably had to punch him in a few, the balls a few times to get him off her. I got. I, I get the funny feeling these two haven't loved each other for a long, long time, but it's mutually beneficial relationship. Do you yeah, know what I mean? It's Trump versus Hillary. It's on. And, uh, they've already been jabbing each other on Twitter. So what they've been saying on this internet thing? So uh, Trump. I can't remember what. I can't remember. Oh, uh, there was something about uh, her her email scandal. The fact oh, yeah. she's being investigated by the FBI. Yeah, the fact she's a criminal. And he tweeted something about that. He taunted her on Twitter, and her reply was, "Delete your account." And uh, people celebrated this like it was the most witty comeback or burn, as Mm. the internet tends to say. And it's the most unimaginative, unimaginative response you could possibly come up with. It's it's the kind of thing an eight year old would say. It was shit. Why are people going nuts about it? Well, I think it's 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 very barefaced cheek, isn't it? The fact that she's sort of being investigated for trying to hide and delete emails. uh, It just shows that she doesn't care. She feels she's above the law. She knows that people are saying these things questioning her on Do you these think things. Maybe, she doesn't care. She's, she's not young, right? She feels she can get away with it. She knows she can get away with it. She's um, The press, they're trying to big this up. They're trying to make a big deal out of it. But like you say, no one's really going for it. And I think the reason they're not going for it is it's Hillary Clinton. Mm. It's another Clinton that we're going to have in the White House, pro- yeah. probably. Yeah. And people do have to do, do they do want a, that? Well, people do associate the time of Bill Clinton as a fairly peaceful, 
prosperous time in America. The think, economy grew, think, unemployment went down. Yeah, things things were fairly good. Decent record. Uh, Not much other war. than Sucking he got impeached. Yeah, yeah, but... For perjury. Yeah. I did not have sexual relations with my dogs. But then the thing, it was, it was, it was a crime of, you know, it was a sexual crime. It wasn't a violent crime. It wasn't a financial crime. Um, although they do say that Hillary, you know, to her detriment, um, she she actually publicly attacked some women who accused him of yep, rape, true. which is pretty serious. Paula Jones was one. Yeah, it's not not very sisterhood. There were a couple of others. It? Yeah, but do you think she was just doing the um, so-called battered housewife Maybe. kind of thing? Maybe she was. It's possible, possible she, isn't doubt it? it though. Why didn't she leave him? I mean, it comes prestige. to light. Prestige, isn't it? Do you think it was um, like I say, like I said earlier, they don't love each other, but it's a mutual benef- mutually beneficial relationship. She well, she thought... ended up as foreign secretary. She, she, yeah. she, she Do you think that's had, how she always had a clear path? Senator planned. of New York, and then yeah, yeah. So the press, um, they seem reluctant to attack Hillary in the same way they're attacking Trump now. Mm. Like with Trump, they're just they're going all out to yeah. try and wreck him completely dis- discredit him yeah whereas hillary they're just kind of at the moment they're offering her softball questions they're not really bringing up the emails they're not bringing up libya she um it's kind of well known obama didn't really want to get involved in libya right mm. and it was really at the behest of hillary that yeah. he did get involved mm-hmm. it went wrong it went bad it went sour yeah and hillary recently blamed it on obama she said it was his fault mm. and that's the kind of person hillary is she doesn't take blame for anything no Personally, I think she epitomises... Do you know the Groucho Marx quote? To tell me. Yeah, I've got principles, but um, if you don't like them, I can change them. <laughs> but to me, Hillary epitomises that. That sounds like the perfect she was, politician. Though. She was anti-gay marriage for years, and then the tide turned. Yeah. The public tide turned. So yeah. she meet, And then she pretended... She didn't um, do the, I've been on a journey where I used to be against this, but I realise now it's wrong. She did the switch. She did the Orwellian thing. Yeah. I've always been for gay marriage. No, you weren't. Yeah. I don't think she has any real principles, do you? Other than uh, make money and spread war. Yeah. Honestly, that's what I think about her. But, like, who's she going to have as her vice president? That's an interesting dynamic. That always Um, makes a lot of sway in in elections. I think there's two ways she can go, right? Uh, Elizabeth Warren has thrown her hat into the ring. She's saying she's perfectly prepared to be Hillary's running mate, right? Now, Elizabeth Warren, really do quite like Elizabeth Warren, where she was bigging up, we've got to look out for consumers, we've got to look out for everyday people, people you know they have wall street versus main street in america oh yes she was very much on the side of main street and she started this consumer protection agency well she didn't start it but it was really her idea and um she's put her hat in the ring to be hillary's vp another option for hillary would be to actually get someone from the republican side interesting so she looks like the uniter yeah yeah I think she'll go with Elizabeth Warren. And I like Elizabeth Warren. I think she's bright. She's competent. She would, if I could pick anyone to run for president, she would be my pick, Elizabeth Warren. So you think two women would stand a better chance? These days is a good, it's true, it's a good actually, strategy. It's true, actually. Anyone who can Because that's Trump's weakest point. Hillary. Yeah. Uh, attacking Trump on his attacks against women seems to resonate really well with the public. Yeah. It lands and there you go, oh yeah, yeah, he is a misogynist, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like the racism accusations, they've not really stuck and the media's tried as hard as they possibly completely, can. Completely, completely. But they don't really stick. No, I think like that's... Like what you said earlier, I remember a phrase of yours in one of our very first episodes, nature abhors a vacuum. Yeah. America wants a racist, xenophobic, strong man yeah. at the helm. Yeah. Well, half America does, I reckon. Yeah. 
But I, th- I think with Trump, you know, hopefully he'll sort of do what Ronald Reagan does if he did, did become president. Put taxes up. He said he would. He'll just surround himself with talented people, which yeah. is what all successful business people do. He has no real ideology. I, 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 I want to know what all these Bernie voters are going to do. They're going to put their money where their mouth is. Some have said they will vote for Trump yeah. because they just hate Hillary yeah. that much. But Hillary's been running on a uh, what I call vote vagina campaign. Of course. They've not had a woman before. Why yeah, not? She doesn't really have any real big accomplishments but to like, her name. But like I say, she's not a woman's woman. She doesn't have that sense of femininity. Not really, no. Or you don't feel like she'd be like a nurturing, caring... She's trying she to no come across... Aspects. She's trying to come across as your grandmother. But she's still trying to warm, be tough. safe. Do you see that speech? Did you see that speech she gave when you know she said she'd got the nomination? She was shouting at the end. She was like, "Rah, rah!" And just the tone of her voice—it was like some old fucking woman shouting at you. And you think <laughs> a lot of people are just not going to vote for her because they don't want to hear that every time there's a fucking something to be shouted about. I'd rather listen to Trump like spout shit than her. Honestly, he's more entertaining. He's definitely more entertaining. He's a lot more personable than Hillary Clinton yeah. is, and he's less expansionist. True. Hillary is a neocon. Yeah. She admired, she, um, in the 2008 elections, she actually said she really admired John McCain's foreign policy positions, which was 100% neocon. You know, go in, resume change, bomb the shit out of things, and then say sorry later and pay him a lot of money. Like I say, people need to take a risk just to get a change. It might be a change for the worse. With Hillary, it'll just be the same fucking story that's going on, troubling the A repeat of Bill Clinton. A repeat of Obama. It'll just Mm. be the same. Except foreign policy. Who do you think is going to win between Trump and Hillary? Who would you put your money on? Not who you hope wins. No, um, probably Hillary Clinton. I don't know. It's really hard to call. Like I say, a lot of people, once once given the anonymity of mm. the voting booth, it's quite something. They might, you know, He might get more ticks than you think because she isn't a very popular person. Like, they, like I say... Neither of them are. Like I say, the, the real tipping point of this is going to be when Trump and Hillary start to debate each other. It's a really uninspiring election, isn't it? Trump versus Hillary. It's hard to It's not uninspiring for me. It's very exciting just for the sort of verbal fireworks and insults and batshit insanity we're going to see over the next few months. I think we're going to see, actually, a really low turnout for the US election. I think people are going to be completely uninspired. They're going to be um, almost disgusted with both candidates, I think. But there are a lot of people who love Trump. In my mind, this election is a choice between a dry, wrinkled vagina and a crusty, bloviating cunt. (laughs) That's your choice, America. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Tim, did you enjoy it? I really enjoyed it, Tom. Thanks for having me. I'd just like to remind viewers that all opinions expressed within uh, purely for entertainment purposes and uh, not the opinions yeah. of our sponsors or shareholders. Is this you trying to distance yourself from, from your anything misogynistic statements earlier? Completely. <laughs> it wasn't me. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I can't get away with it and I run this thing. Okay. Publish and yeah. be damned. Thank you very much for listening, guys. I hope you got a little uh, little bit of entertainment out of it. Next week, it's the big one. It's the EU referendum special episode. Join us for that one, if you please. <laughs> <laughs>